darkness is your ally. You merely adopted the dark. I was born in it, molded by it. I didn't see the light until I was already a man. By then it was nothing to me but blinding. The shadows betray you because they belong to me. Yeah, I, that's not a good energy to start. <laughs> hey everyone, welcome back to Podcast Part 3, the Part 3 Podcast. I am Sam. And I'm Will. And, and uh, we're recording this. Um, everyone's minds are kind of on other things. So what better time to distract ourselves than to talk about 2012's The Dark Knight Rises, <laughs> the least fun movie ever. I remember liking this in the theater and watching it for this. Uh, it was, um, this was a bit of a slog, gotta say. You know me. I'm a very <laughs> diplomatic person. You know that I don't like to, like, shit talk movies. Even before we were, like, in the quote-unquote business, uh, you know, I've always, you know, like, I know people take their opinions very personally, and I don't like to make people feel bad for liking a movie, or, and I don't like to condemn people for hating a movie, but I think I kind of hate this movie. <laughs> well, I don't know if I, I hate it, but this was a tough watch. This was a tough sit for me this time around. Yeah, so we watched Batman Forever, 1995. That was followed up quite infamously with Batman and Robin in 1997, which doubled down on the camp and day glow silliness of batman forever and was and the horniness too yeah it was pretty horny uh <laughs> pretty horny movie but colossal failure at the box office basically killed superhero movies killed dc movies for a long time jump ahead to 2002 spider-man comes out reignites superhero movies and comic book adaptations as a viable blockbuster box office uh concept and in 2005, we get Batman Begins, which was as different from uh, Batman and Robin as you could get in a Batman movie. <laughs> yeah. For starters, for the first time ever, we had a Batman movie about Batman, <laughs> directed by a director who at that point had a pretty impressive track record, uh, Christopher yeah. Nolan. We all knew him at, back then as uh, the director of Memento, which had been a huge uh, independent uh, release that turned into a big hit. And it starred Christian Bale from American Psycho as Batman. It's like just good casting in that movie up and down. All around. I mean, and, and yeah, I mean, that was the thing. It, it took what worked for Raimi's Spider-Man movies and it just doubled down on it. It said, it basically said, we are taking this concept seriously and we are going to take uh, explore bigger themes about uh, revenge and terrorism and the economy sort of tanking and all this sort of stuff. And we are going to explore it through Batman. Um, fear. The big fear. theme in that one was fear. Yeah. Lots of lots of talk about fear. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, had Scarecrow and Ray Al Ghul as the villains. Big success. I'd say as a movie, looking back, it's good, not great. It's not one I, like, go back and watch a lot. It definitely feels like it's a Christopher Nolan movie kind of pushing back against a lot of studio notes. Yeah, I mean, it definitely feels... It feels like a superhero movie. Uh, it feels a lot like Raimi's first Spider-Man movie, just maybe with 
a lot of the earnestness kind of a little more dialed down and it's a little more gritty and, and a little more realistic. I mean, that was sort of Nolan's big approach was he was going to take, he was going to be a realistic Batman. So big success. And obviously they're going to make a sequel. And obviously it, it's, it's time to bring out the big guns. And that was 2008's The Dark Knight starring Heath Ledger as the Joker, the biggest hit ever. Yeah. Just a a massive critical and box office success. Just an amazing performance from Heath Ledger as the Joker. Like, I'd say that was, it it was a real game changer in terms of, like, how we looked at superhero movies and what you could do with a super, it felt like a Michael Mann movie more than it did, like, a, a DC Comics movie. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, and I think... I think the big thing about those about Batman Begins and the Dark Knight is just how propulsive they are. Like yeah. they they get very silly and sort of weird in their plotting in a couple places, but like you don't care cuz you are just like on the train and it is going at like Mach 7. It is just going so fast and it is so both movies I think are actually so engaging. And you're just, you're on the ride. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I don't think it's, most people would put The Dark Knight up there as one of the best superhero movies ever. And they're not wrong. No. So after The Dark Knight, uh, there was like a little bit, I feel like there was like a moment where Christopher Nolan was a little, uh, it wasn't certain if he was going to come back to the franchise. And he, I think, was hesitant to make a third movie after Heath Ledger's death. He would only come back if he found a story he really liked. And I quote from the making of the Dark Knight trilogy book, Christopher Nolan, on a superficial level, I have to ask the question, how many good third movies in a franchise can people name? (laughs) Wow. The Dark Knight ends with Batman's one true love, Rachel Dawes, uh, is murdered by the Joker his, uh, the district attorney, Harvey Dent, has turned into Two-Face, and Batman is forced to kill him to save Commissioner Gordon's son, and Batman agrees to take the fall for all of Harvey Dent's crimes so that people will not, will, people will still have the symbol of Harvey Dent to look up to, uh, as a hero, and Batman goes on the run. He's wanted by the cops. They smash the, the, the bat signal. Then, he, apparently, he drives home and isn't Batman for eight goddamn years. Yeah, I think this is one of the biggest problems with this movie is the setup. And I, I, it's a it's an intensely frustrating setup. And as we get further into the movie, I think like the biggest it's the biggest problem because so much of this movie is spent wheel spinning waiting for Batman to come out of retirement. It, it's a fundamental weird thing. Uh, and it's a, such a strange structural problem to have in a movie that is posited as the last Batman story to not have Batman as Batman for a good chunk of it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, once again, the Batman franchise loses interest in Batman. It's, it's, <laughs> it, it's a tale as old as time. <laughs> Here's the timeline of the Christopher Nolan Batman trilogy. Bruce Wayne's, uh, of course, he's a young boy when his uh, parents are murdered. He's about 22 years old uh, when uh, Joe Chill is uh, killed after his uh, parole hearing or something like that. Yeah. He then goes off and disappears for seven years, uh, comes back, is Batman for about a year, 
Maybe a year and a half at most. Year and a half at most. I think there's a, a one-year gap between the end of the of Batman Begins and the beginning of Dark Knight. Dark Knight happens, and then he stops being Batman for another eight years, and then uh, The Dark Knight Rises takes place over the span of about five months. He's Batman once at the beginning of those five months, and Batman once more at the end of those five months. So Batman was Batman for about a, not even two years collectively so this movie takes basically takes three seminal batman stories it takes the dark knight returns it takes nightfall and it takes uh, no man's land and mushes them together into one thing and i think the biggest problem is that dark knight returns and nightfall while they have sort of a similar thematic approach to what batman is and batman is a symbol and why batman is important um they come at it two different context and directions and when you put them together it it just screws everything up like nightfall is the story where batman is at the end of his rope and this this villain bane breaks all the villains out of arkham arkham asylum and basically systematically wears batman down to the point where he's broken mentally and then bane breaks his back and he's broken uh, physically and then somebody else has to take the up the bat mantle and uh and it turns out to be a horrible decision who takes up the bat mantle and is sort of this rob liefeld nightmare uh batman <laughs> um and then the dark knight returns is set in the future far future and batman has been retired for at least a decade maybe more and he comes back as sort of problems in gotham have become such sort of an overripe fruit and so much problems and so he comes back to be batman and all the problems that that causes of him returning and again they come from the same thematic place but they just they just are so incongruous in their context and that putting them together just makes this very strange double beat of batman retires he comes back he gets broken and then he comes back and retires again and it's such a weird choice, and I don't understand it. Add to that, No Man's Land was uh, a sprawling arc across a ton of DC and Batman-related comics where an earthquake basically cut Gotham City off from the rest of the United States. They declared it No Man's Land, much like in this movie, all the bridges were down, no one could get to Gotham, and it's basically carved up by the different uh, supervillains of Batman's rogues gallery, and it's about Batman trying to reclaim the city. It's not so much a story about Batman as it is a story about, you know, the different factions of Gotham City. All Like, the, the police are, are, you know, you have the police as, like, a resistance like you do in this movie. Now, The Dark Knight Returns by Frank Miller is one of, if not the, most famous Batman graphic novel. It's very dense, it's very ambitious, it's very Frank Miller. On top of that, Nightfall, if you've ever owned it in, in paperback, is three very thick graphic novels. No Man's Land is six <laughs> relatively thick graphic novels. And none of them should be squished together like this. Yeah, I mean, I I can kind of see Nightfall and No Man's Land kind of working together in tandem. If you take the approach that this movie half-asses, but if you take the approach of Bane taking over Gotham and becoming a dictator and ruling it with an iron fist, and then Batman has to come back and dethrone him, I think that can work. The problem... Rob 
problem is, I think I can see how that could work on paper. It just doesn't work here because the movie doesn't commit to Gotham being this uh, post-apocalyptic sort of hellhole. It just it it just doesn't care enough about that. Gotham doesn't feel lived in before or after Bane takes it over. No, like not at all. It's and it's one of the best things about the Dark Knight, the previous movie, is that. It's the first time that Gotham felt like a real place, like a real city with people. And in this movie, the final battle for the soul of Gotham is just a bunch of cops on one side who all spent five months living in a tunnel, not growing facial hair. Yeah, they all look very clean. They They all (laughs) look look freshly showered. (laughs) And then on the other side, a bunch of uniform mercenaries that work for Bane and the League of Shadows. And they're fighting, and they're... And the only normal people in the final, like, hour of the movie that you see are a bus full of orphans. Right, who are just trying to leave. and Who are only there because the movie can't figure out what to do with Joseph Gordon-Levitt in the final. <laughs> no, all right, so on top of this being a movie that's trying to combine The Dark Knight Returns, The Nightfall, No Man's Land... It's also trying to pick up on threads about Ra's al Ghul and the League of Shadows that are set up in Batman Begins... And it's a Robin origin story as well. (laughs) All of this is happening. There are so many characters in this. It it takes the point where Bane arrives in Gotham and sets his plan in motion is an hour into a two hour and 44 minute movie. Yeah. it, It takes so long to get to where it needs to be. And you're just introduced to character after character and you're and. You don't care about any of them. Well, because you don't have any... It, the movie never gives you any time to care about any of them. Because, like, what it feels like to me, and I I, I don't know how you... Re- the first third of this movie, just feel, the first act, really, just feels like it's wheel spinning for Batman to come back out of retirement. And it seems like the whole plot, every the story, everything is just waiting for that moment. Batman comes out of retirement, he fights Bane, he gets his back broken... And then the ne- then the last the next part of the movie is just waiting for Batman to come out to come back, and from the backbreaking and it just and everything all the plot stuff is just waiting on Batman to come back, and and you know what Rocky three did this plot better. <laughs> it's the same plot. He thinks he's got he can take on the strong guy. His old friend and mentor tells him not to. He gets his ass kicked. And he is, he becomes all like a sad, broken version of himself. And he then goes and works out in like a a new location. And then he comes back and he beats the guy. That's it. (laughs) The only difference is there's no, there's no, I don't know who Apollo Creed is. I guess that's Catwoman. Yeah, I think that's Catwoman. (laughs) Also, just nothing in Bane's plan makes any sense. This whole first a- first hour is spent setting up Dr. Pavel and this fusion reactor that if once you unplug it it turns into a, a neutron bomb. Well it's it's Marion Cotillard as Miranda Tate. Uh, <laughs> Bruce Wayne invested a bunch of money in this green energy fusion reactor thing, but he's afraid he knows that it could potentially become a neutron bomb, so he has it in this bunker where he can flood it, flood the river if uh, he needs to um, stop it. And Bane's plan is to get into Gotham City, get this neutron bomb, 
and once it's unplugged, it will degrade over five months and then blow up Gotham City. <laughs> and in the meantime, he's going to do like a French Revolution thing. But it doesn't matter because he intends to blow up the city no matter what. Now, I feel like it's easy for someone to get a nuke, right? <laughs> like, well, I'm in not movie an, world, I, it is. Yeah. I feel like people just had nukes lying around on any given season of 24. Why is this the way that... that Bane, it's just well, so, it, so it, this is it's sta- this, it's just a stupid MacGuffin, and I'm annoyed right now. Well, it's I mean, well, it's 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 a stupid MacGuffin, and it also gives a ticking clock, and it's and it seems like it's only it only exists for the ticking clock because Bane. So much of this movie, uh, it's so frustrating because so much of this movie just makes no sense. Uh, I, 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 Sam, I think we might need to start at the beginning. <laughs> I think we might need to start at the beginning because. I have a lot of questions about certain things, uh, and a lot of it actually relates to The Dark Knight, because I think this movie fundamentally misunderstands The Dark Knight. Do you feel that way, too, or is that me? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, like, Alfred in The Dark Knight is the one telling uh, Bruce Wayne he has to endure, he has to make the choices no one else can, you have to be strong. And now in this one, uh, Alfred's like, I never wanted you to be Batman, I wish you hadn't come back, uh, you need to go out more and just be Bruce Wayne, stop being Batman. I'm going to fucking give up on you. Well, and see, all of that would... I could buy that more if Batman hadn't retired. I could buy that entire thread of him being like, you've gotten lost in this whole thing. Like, you need to... I could buy that. I could buy Alfred being like, what? This has gone too far. If he's been Batman for eight years, you know? Uh, but it, it here, it just feels so toothless because he's only been Batman again for half a second. <laughs> No, he's he gave up. He gave up on being Batman. It should be noted he gave up on being Batman because uh, he was sad because uh, uh, Rachel, he thought Rachel Dawes, uh, before she died, had decided she would be with him instead of Harvey Dent. But that's because Alfred lied to him to give him hope. Instead, it turned him into Howard fucking Hughes. Yeah. <sighs> I, yeah, like... All right, we'll just sort of wind our way through this. I promise this won't be like a suddenly we're a three-hour podcast because I'm irritated by this movie because yeah. it is the quintessential everyone's tired and no one cares third movie. And I I expected a lot more than that coming off of The Dark Knight, which I thought was like, at the time, kind of transcended the genre and set a really high bar. And I have to be honest, going thinking back, to like the lead up to the Dark Knight Rises, everything about that, the marketing for it, just felt a little off to me. Yeah. Like even the title when I came out, I'm like, oh, that's that's the title, not like something like Batman Begins, The Dark Knight. You know, I need to do something different. This is just a sequel to The Dark Knight, and that first teaser that was just like the shot of them, the the like city collapsing or something. Right. Yeah. And then, obviously, it needs to be said. Thinking back to when this movie first came out. The opening weekend of this was the very tragic mass shooting at the theater in Aurora, Colorado. It just put, like, kind of a pall over going to see the movie. Yeah. And I don't know if I've ever really shaken that. This movie is not one I'm ever eager to go back and revisit. No, I mean, I I think that's that's part of it. But, But also, I mean, it seems to me that Nolan really didn't want to make the movie and... And I think it seems, you know, on it seems like he was more interested on a technical level on seeing what he could do with 
IMAX cameras and stunts and, you know, all those things. Like, that opening plane high sequence is really cool. Um, it's, it's really cool, neat. But it's, like, on a technical level, it doesn't yeah. make any sense. But it's, like, got that, it's got the same problem all of his, like, fights and gun battles in this movie have where I have right. no sense of geography for anyone. Right, like, or I just, or I don't have a, 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 a like... Compare it to the opening of The Dark Knight, where it's like I—it's a plan that doesn't is supposed to sort of be like confusing, but I do fundamentally understand at least what everyone's doing at one time. And when they're like taking that guy, taking Doctor Pavel's blood, I'm like, I don't know why they're doing this, but it looks neat. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like they expect one of us in the wreckage. Do they? Do they? Like, do I have to die on the plane, yeah, Mr. And- Bane? And the little fingers there running around. Like, it's just, it's... Uh... But the thing that, that is is so odd to me also about the setup is this Harvey Dent act that has, like, outlawed crime. <laughs> like, like and, and I could understand it if the movie went this direction where Gotham has suddenly become a police state and this lie that they told is sort of rotting from underneath. But they don't show that Gotham is fundamentally different in any significant way. It, they just no. say, they just go around saying that, like, organized crime is gone. And it's like, how does this law do that? Unless it's, like, this truly draconian thing. You never get a sense but. of that. You never get a sense that Gotham has some sort of massive income inequality, like, upper class and lower class uh, situation. You never get a sense that the city is in sort of decay... They keep calling it, like, peacetime. We're not at war anymore. Like, the mob's gone. But the mob was kind of, was, you know, that wasn't really the problem, was the mob. It was, you know, you know the clown man that was trying to kill everybody. This movie has a big reveal in the final act, and it's basically that Marianne Cotillard is not, in her Miranda Tate is just a fake name. She is, in fact, Ra's al Ghul's daughter, Talia al Ghul, and she is the one behind everything. I think it would have been more, I think it would have landed better if we'd revealed that earlier and at least made this feel more like a follow-up to Batman Begins. Or alternatively, the reveal that, like, Bane then, like, finds the speech uh, that Commissioner Gordon (laughs) carries around with him and reads it, like, on live TV to tell everyone that Harvey Dent wasn't a hero. He was, you know, Batman was the hero and Harvey Dent killed all these people and the, the Dent Act is a sham. I think a bigger and better reveal might have been Harvey Dent is is alive. is two face and he's still alive and he's been tucked away in Arkham Asylum. Bane busts into Arkham Asylum and reveals Harvey Dent. I don't know. I'm just I'm I'm spitballing no, I, here. It's just I, this feel it, it, this movie for all of its excessive pieces feels like it's missing something at its core. Yeah. No. I I, I think so. And I, I mean. I mean, my problem really is the setup is just so fundamentally just wrong, I think. And, you know, I think I think the story could work as it is if Batman has been Batman for more for almost a decade. And, yeah. And, you know, and and then a lot of the emotional stuff between the characters, particularly between Bruce and Alfred, makes a lot more sense. And it makes a lot more sense that Bruce Wayne's body is, like, completely, like, failing him. 
you know, yeah. like all of that stuff would work a lot better if like you really saw the emotional toll of like going out at night and beating up criminals took on Bruce Wayne. And you don't really have sympathy for Bruce Wayne because he's let his company kind of fall to, uh, you know, ruin. Right. He's, it's being taken over by this sort of corrupt guy played by uh, it's Ben Mendelsohn as a Ben Mendelsohn character. <laughs> Yeah, before that was kind of a thing. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and he's he's aided by Burn Gorman as a Burn Gorman, Gorman type. Gorman cared, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, like, so you have that, and, and then that ties into, like, he's not funding the orphanage where Joseph Gordon-Levitt used to live. So let's talk about Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Let's talk about John Blake, Officer John Blake. He's a real hothead, as Matthew <laughs> Modine likes to say. So much of this movie feels like it was written by a 10-year-old. I'm sorry. Like, like lines like that. It's like, get this hothead out of there. It's like, this This was written by some... It's just so weird. John anyway, Blake is, like, it's just frustrating because ultimately the film ends with setting up he's going to take over the mantle of Batman. His real name is Robin. <laughs> I, I, I feel like it also ties into this is the era of like the J.J. Abrams mystery box storytelling yeah. where, you know, uh, Star Trek Into Darkness and they cast Benedict Cumberbatch and he was like, oh, no, no, no. Benedict Cumberbatch isn't Khan. I swear he's not Khan. And then the movie comes out and it's surprise. He's Khan. But they don't tell a very interesting story to back up. But they're supposed to hope you're just going to be surprised that it's Khan, whereas it should be an interesting story featuring Khan, and God, this one does yeah. the same thing with, the, everyone was like, Marion Cotillard is, is Talia al Ghul. She's t- gonna be the bad guy, ultimately. And, and, and they were all like, no, 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 no. She's Miranda Tate. No, 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 there's no Talia in this movie. And yeah. surprise, she's Talia. And they do the same thing with John Blake. Everyone was like, oh, he's gonna be Dick Grayson. Oh, right. he's gonna be, you know, Robin. And she went, no, yes, he should have been Dick Grayson. That was the one time where it would have worked. Instead, he's this guy that, like, he just knows that Bruce Wayne is Batman because he look he made eye contact with him once. Well, this is I mean, this is the thing. If it's if Batman has been Batmaning for a decade or so, then you can have a story where a a you know, a a police officer figures out his identity. <laughs> yeah, which comes from the comics. Tim Drake, the third Robin, just figured it out. He was a he detected it. Yeah, like he's You don't need this weird backstory of him being like, "Well, I was at the orphanage and I just knew you were Batman because I knew." Like and I, I, on some level, I like the way that it ends. I like the whole, you know, Joseph Gordon-Levitt finding the cave and rise and the thing rising up and the movie ends. I like all that. It's just the movie doesn't do the work to, like, set him up as Batman's successor. He needs to be fighting along with Batman and Catwoman throughout the whole thing. Like, he needs to be part of the action. After the first hour, the movie really doesn't have anything to give John Blake as a character. He's not part of, like, the final action sequences. He's, like, stuck on a bridge with a bus full of orphans. You know, he's heroic, but he's completely removed from everything. He They give him this, like, dirty, hairy, like, oh, the red tape is binding me and I can't do my... my I can't met out true justice, and, which, like, is for some reason spouted, like, in the mouth of Jim Gordon. The end of The Dark Knight isn't 
Jim Gordon's problem isn't that he's bound by red tape and can't, like, actually perform justice, right? Like, that's not what happens no. at the end of The Dark Knight. But that's what this movie posits. And Gary Oldman gives, like, this very hammy speech about how, like, if you had a friend and the structures are binding you and Robert Javin... <laughs> no, and it's just like, all right, so we're we're still, like, in the first hour and the sheer volume of characters you have to kind of sort out. Like, I haven't even gotten to there's the the congressman, uh, and there's uh, Juno Temple from Ted Lasso is there as, like, Selena Kyle's buddy. And Matthew Modine. Matthew Modine. <laughs> and these characters, like, just kind of drift in and out of the movie. Yeah. And, I mean, I, I'm just going to, because I want to talk about something I like in this movie. Anne Hathaway is so goddamn good. She's great. She is the only, everyone else feels bored. All the yeah. performances feel like Tom Hardy's good, but he's just kind of... He's doing a thing. He's doing he's a doing thing. He's doing a thing. It's its its a take on Bane. It's obviously everyone's done their version of it. Uh, <laughs> it's not its not what I like about Bane as a character in the comics. Uh, Bane's, you know... All right, I'm already getting off track. It's also, they remove all of Bane's agency as a villain in the 11th hour. Turns out he's just doing this because he's got a crush on Marianne Cotillard. You know. Yeah, that's that's my. I I actually like Tom Hardy's Bane up until the movie sidelines him, uh, and his plan makes no sense. And then when you're in that stretch where everyone's trapped in Gotham and Batman's trying to get to get out of the prison and and nothing is really happening and it's just and you're really confused about why they're moving this bomb from place to place. <laughs> just like... It's the middle hour of this movie, like is just such a drag. Because also, on top of everything else, that middle hour, no Anne Hathaway, no, no. Catwoman. Yeah. So when the first hour is completely livened up by the presence of Selina Kyle as a character because she feels exactly like what you would want from Selina Kyle on screen. She's not over the top like Michelle. Like Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman is great, but for a Tim Burton movie. Yes, yeah. Anne Hathaway dials it back just enough, but she's like funny- and she's like sarcastic and she the character is competent and she has a pretty good like motivation for what she's doing which is basically like she wants a fresh start she doesn't yeah. she's like made too many enemies being you know a sneak thief and she has really good chemistry with Christian Bale that scene at the party where they're dancing yeah. Bale kind of lights up a bit like i feel like his banter with her is really strong i wanted to see more of that i'm that's why i'm looking forward to the batman cuz it looks right. like we're going to finally get that batman catwoman team up movie that uh, and i love the po- the moments where they're like on the roof and they're like beating up thugs and stuff like that yeah. that shit's fun like that shit's fun that like that should be part of your first act I think the biggest problem is they're trying to also jam in A Tale of Two Cities as well as the other three Batman stories we've talked about, you know? And all the class, like, the class discussions just don't work. Like, they, they, because it's so confused as to sort of what it's trying to say and how it's trying to say it and, like... Yeah, like, Bane, when he takes over the city, basically, like, tells people, go forth... You know, it's like this populist uh, class warfare revolutionary message where it's like, oh, the rich will be torn from their homes and they have like a kangaroo court. Uh, (laughs) And you get like one like montage of that and then you don't really see it ever again. You don't see normal people in Gotham City after Bane takes over. If this is a battle for Gotham, you get no sense of the city. 
So the stakes feel really, really low. Yeah, and you just, there's no normal people. You don't see, like, that was the thing about The Dark Knight is that they always had moments where you saw sort of how this reign of terror was affecting ordinary citizens. They even had a big sort of finale with the ordinary citizens on the boats. A little hammy and maybe, you know, on the nose and heavy-handed. It works for the movie, I think. You also had, like non-main character sort of supporting characters in that movie that like kind of felt grounded and and like yeah. like Anthony Michael Hall as the reporter right. like you know just kind of these characters that felt like real like they could be in a real city like all the cops like the supporting cops and detectives right. were all really well-drawn characters in that and yeah. they all kind of disappear in this one there's not a lot you don't feel a lot of continuity between the dark knight and the dark knight rises and that's a shame because yeah. the there's a lot of great stuff in The Dark Knight besides just Heath Ledger and Aaron Eckhart, besides Joker and Two-Face. Yeah. And I wish, I wish they'd followed through on that. Like, in, yeah. I remember in The Dark Knight when Two-Face is holding Commissioner Gordon's family hostage, he's got the son, and the son is kind of the main kid you kind of key in on, but the mom is, like, protecting a daughter, but they very strategically, you never see the daughter's face and you never yeah. really get a gauge on what her age is. And I feel like that was like, oh, we could set up Batgirl in this. What if right. what if Batman is now a fugitive from justice and he's got on one hand a new hero that's trying to emulate him in Batgirl and on the other hand he's got a criminal kind of luring him to the dark side like Catwoman. And then yeah. you could have a big villain threatening the city in Bane or the Riddler or whoever you want. If you want to go bigger with each movie, which these ones definitely do in terms of like scale and scope, that's fine. But... This was a a franchise that made a point of focusing on Batman and Bruce Wayne's story, and it completely sidelines him in this one on a Laurie Strode in Halloween Kills level, and it's, it just, I think it just kills the movie in my opinion. Even if you kept the he hasn't been Batman for eight years, which I think is a mistake, he has to be Batman in the movie for more than three scenes. Right, and, and, and that's the thing, I think, you know, part of... The Nightfall arc was Batman getting his mojo back, and and I think at one point doesn't he have to like fight? Doesn't he go and, and fight Ra's al Ghul in the Nightfall arc? Yeah, he trains with Lady Shiva. Like right. he goes to the League of Assassins. Like there's right. like, Batman's no, always but, going off and like getting his groove back. But you know? but that's it's, what that's the thing that I think you need because like you need Bruce Wayne doing something. It it needs to feel like Batman begins in that it needs to feel like he's coming back to it. And what the problem with this movie is it chucks him in this prison, a very cool, cool designed prison. And he hangs around, like literally hangs around for a good chunk of the movie. Yeah. Talking to other, like these two guys, these two like old timers who just spout exposition about Bane and Talia al Ghul. Like, yeah. So he doesn't, he's not active. I mean, obviously he wants to get back to Gotham and save the day because he's the hero, but it all just feels so easy and like, and he just needs this moment of, he needs to have something active that he has to like do and not just this big jump. (laughs) Yeah, he has like, you never see him doing like the things that make Batman cool, which is like, all right, he gets out of the prison and then like immediately fast travels across the globe, I'm assuming, to and is right back he's walking around Gotham right took no and issue getting there show me batman getting creative about how he gets back into the city does he have like an under the river tunnel does he have a bat boat does he have something it's like you got to give us something all yeah. we get is he gets out of the tunnel out of the cave the, the pit not the tunnel <laughs> not the cave the pit the pit 
and appears to just walk home. Yeah, and it's interesting. It's so weird because Batman Begins and The Dark Knight take this cue from Michael Mann that it's like so process oriented and so like, yeah. you know, so detailed. And so this is how Batman works. And this is how like he does his job as a Batman that like this movie skips a lot of that. And sort of like for bigger moments, it's very strange. Well, and it's also all the process stuff we see is like in that first hour, it's Batman kind of catching up onto what Bane's up to. And we see a right. lot of Bane stuff, but nothing Bane does makes any goddamn sense. Like, right. he goes to the Gotham stock market and <laughs> does, like, a right. fraudulent, like, s- sell-off of all of Bruce Wayne's stock at, to, like, leave him broke so that uh, Ben Mendelsohn can take over the company. And then I, I just love that Lucius Fox then says, like, in the long term, we could prove fraud, maybe. And I'm like, I don't know. It seemed pretty obvious. The masked like, guy was... just came in the and fucking, did the thing. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the guys with the motorcycles and the machine guns seemed to be... Uh... <laughs> but that, in turn, is just a play to get uh, Marianne Cotillard to take over the board so that she can have access to... Uh, to the bomb. And how it works. And, and yeah. how, how to, you know, unplug it and turn it into a nuclear bomb. Do you think Talia Al Ghul, she's like, I am going to get my revenge. Ha 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 ha. Let's, uh, I'm going to design this fusion reactor that will turn into a bomb. And I'm going to give it to Bruce Wayne. And Bruce Wayne will give me the keys. Do you think she just got annoyed when Bruce Wayne was like, no, we're just, I'm going to mothball it. Do, 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 do. So she, like, this is, is, that was her plan. Yeah. I mean, I guess she's, she's always known. She's, she's always been Talia this whole time. And she was always yeah. planning to get her revenge. Did she know when she pitched Bruce Wayne this uh, fusion reactor that it would like it could turn into a, a neutron bomb? Or did she not find that out until he read that one article in Wired or wherever about <laughs> Dr. Pavel? And I think the, the, the problem with this movie is that it takes itself so seriously that you pick at these things where you might not if the movie was a little bit lighter and a little bit more fun. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think you, when it's like, this is serious business and this is serious, a serious movie for serious people, you start looking at things like The Dent Act and being like, why does, this doesn't make any yeah, sense. Yeah, in another and, movie, even in The Dark Knight or Batman Begins, I'm willing to overlook those, the, the these nitpicky sort of plot hole things for the sake of the fact that the movie has like, stakes and pacing, and I'm invested in the story. Right. But with this one, it's so dry, and nothing about it makes sense. Like, if we'd known, if Talia had revealed herself as the the mastermind, say, when Bane shows up and makes them go, like, activate the fusion reactor, like, she could be like, you know, thank you, Mr. Fox, and then shanks him, and, like, we find out she's the one in charge of it all, then, you know, you could spend some time giving this character some dimension. Maybe she and Bane have different outlooks on how to do this. Because Bane in the comics has become something of an anti-hero now and then. Right. Like, he's he's got principles. Like, he's a character with some morality to him. Like, you could have him... What if he and Batman team up in the, in the you know, in the final act? What if Talia's the main... Like, I don't know. It's just... There's so many ways you could go that could also involve Batman. They're trying to stack three different stories from the comics on top of it being a sequel to 
two different movies that are kind of tell very different stories, plus introducing us to a glut of new characters that we've never met before. Yeah, and the, the Tally All Ghoul thing is is really egregious because it really does feel like the movie is just wasting its time to get to the twist. There's like literally no reason to reveal it when they do. It doesn't like it, it's almost at the end of the movie when you find out. Like yeah. it's at the climax. So it's like, why not have it be like you say at the end of the first act? Make Talia Al Ghul an actual character and not sort of this weird half-assed love interest for Batman. <laughs> yeah, it, unless it's a who done it or the kind of movie where there's a big twist at the very end, like The Sixth Sense or The Usual Suspects. I'm not big on twists. I would much rather it's the it's a tougher thing to write to introduce a villain in the first act and make them compelling all the way through. But I think it makes for a more rewarding experience for the viewer and for the filmmaker. Uh, and and they've done it. They did it they did it um in The Dark Knight. Like you have you know what's going to happen to Harvey Dent. So there's there's that's there. And you have this magnetic villain all the way through it. But you aren't spending every single moment with him. You have time for other characters too. Right. Well, and I think that was the smart play with the Joker with they what they did in The Dark Knight and Christopher Nolan has said in interviews that they treated him like the shark in Jaws. He's sort of cutting his way through and 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 appearing when you know when you need him. And I think that 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 works. And I think that worked really well for that movie. But for this movie to rely on on a twist that ultimately doesn't matter, it makes it makes that middle hour feel like such a slog. Especially if you know the twist, which. I have to say, everyone on the internet figured it out the moment Marianne Cotillard was announced in this movie. <laughs> Who else was she going to be? You know, like, they're trying to build this, like, love story between her and Bruce Wayne. Which is fine if they, if they like, tried to do it. If they did it in any, like, real fashion. The problem is, is that they don't, they share, like, three scenes, and then the next thing you know, they're sleeping together. <laughs> Like, I don't understand why they, like, they don't, I don't understand their connection enough for them to sleep together at that moment. And it feels like this is the sort of things that, like, from what I, what I read about, like, sort of the time between Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises, Christopher Nolan was definitely more invested in, like, he was there for, like, the initial, well, like, when, when David Goyer wrote the treatment for The Dark Knight, he intended it to be two movies there was going to be like the movie with the joker and harvey dent and then the, the the third movie would be like the joker's trial and harvey dent becomes two-face obviously they sort of ended up combining those and then heath ledger passed away uh you know and that kind of i think definitely like threw any plans they had for a third batman movie to the wind because i think the intention was to bring the joker back in some form yeah yeah, I mean, and that's clear. Uh, why wouldn't you? <laughs> and so I think Nolan was involved in sort of the initial story stuff, and then he went to he was more focused on Inception and the original draft. The first draft that I think Jonathan Nolan and one other writer uh, had was like four hundred pages. Jesus Christ! So like. Yeah, you can tell. I mean, you can tell. There's so much going on in this movie, and none of the connect and like all of the connected connective tissue has been removed if i'm making uh if i'm making a a thanksgiving meal and i (laughs) and i need a and i need a turkey and i've bought three turkeys but i only need one turkey's worth of meat do i whittle three turkeys down to three like parts of a turkey 
Or do I put two turkeys back in the freezer and focus on making the best one turkey I can? <laughs> And that's that's what yeah. this movie is. This movie is too many chunks of different turkeys trying to form a single dinner, and it fails. Yeah, I, it's uh, yeah. This is such a frustrating movie, uh, and like it's just so all over the place. And and so and the problem is is that so much of it also feels deeply silly that the serious tone just like undercuts everything. And, like the the moment where Bane blows up the, the football stadium, like should be this like intense, like, Oh my God, this horrible, horrifying moment. But they do this stupid thing where the guy is running and the football stadiums falling behind him. And it's like, this is hilarious. <laughs> I saw the trailer for this with a, uh, a big Steelers fan. And, uh, uh, all I remember is that trailer came out and he was like, yeah, that's the only way you're going to catch Heinz Ward. <laughs> Yeah, I don't it's just it's just such a messy movie and it's just disappointing because I'm sure they set out to do something very ambitious, but I feel like it just at every turn they kind of made the wrong choice and it just doesn't feel like anyone's hearts were in it. Well, it also just feels like they made the laziest choices. Like no one, you know, a lot of the things like the way Batman gets out of the prison just feels like lazy like that like it just i wish there was a more creative way for him to get out or like like we were talking about him getting into gotham yeah you rarely see batman in any of the batman movies like being a detective or kind of using his brain which is kind of one of his central things it's you know he has a lot of gadgets and he has he can kick ass but he's also the world's greatest detective and then he's also very rich so he has like a jet and a car, and a, and a motorcycle, you know? it's Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, there's a lot of, like, thematic stuff you can tell with Batman as a character, but you also, like, you don't want to lose sight of of the superhero element of it. Right, You yeah, that's why we're in the theater. We're, we're showing up, it's like playing Batman returning as a, this mystery or not in the first hour or so doesn't st- save you anything because we know Batman's going to show up. We're here to see a Batman movie. And it is, it's like the movie just gives up on characters it doesn't have a use for, like Blake or Lucius Fox or Bane for that matter. And Alfred. Oh yeah, Alfred's not Alfred in. Alfred fucks off. Alfred's and, not in two thirds of this movie. And, you know, the thing is, is I kind of like where it ends. I like sort of the emotional catharsis the whole thing gets to. And I, I but it's you just the road there has so much shoe leather and requires so many people so many characters to either just be stupid or just not pay attention to things i hope bruce gave uh robin john blake the uh, keys to that other bat cave that's down by the harbor that's like kind of clean and has like a lot more stuff in it and isn't right under an orphanage <laughs> It's like easier to get to, you know, I hope he gave him like access to everything. Yeah, his rumpus room from The Dark Knight, which is, which is is pretty cool. A cool conceit because he's never, I mean, he's kind of has like safe houses in the comics, but that was not something that like, it was just a fun little bit of continuity. Like, oh, the, you know, the Batcave was basically destroyed in the first, in Batman Begins, so he needs to find a new thing. Like, 
was cool. I don't know. Yeah, no, I thought it was great. I I, I assumed when like in the trailers and lead up to Dark Knight that that was going to be the Batcave. And I was kind of on board with it. I was like, yeah, of course, he, this Batman would have like a GTA online bunker that he keeps <laughs> his car, his cars and his, his weapons in. Yeah, it's it's rough that there was like this this for this series. It touched greatness like one time yeah. and then just really sputtered out. It is you cannot find, honestly, a more classic good, great meh arc for a trilogy. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. I came into this one real hot and I've cooled down a little bit and I just feel sad. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's the problem is there's actually like some great stuff in here, like Catwoman and like. My favorite moment in, like, almost all three of these movies is when, um, you know, Batman's got the bomb attached to his Batplane, and Gordon is like, you don't have time, like, at least tell me who you are, and Batman says, no, you, it doesn't matter, but I love that moment where he says, you know, just, like, what does he say? I wrote it down. It's like, nothing, uh, nothing, nothing means more than, than basically making a little boy feel that his world hadn't been shattered. Like, I love that moment. It's a great moment. It's a little undercut by the fact that Bruce Wayne really never... He, he could have dropped that voice at some point. Well, right. I mean, that's that's the other problem is... And again, it's Nolan's commitment to the bit. You know, it's his, like, we're doing this real. So in order for this to be real, he needs to have, like... He needs to change his voice so people don't realize that he's Bruce Wayne. And it's like... I think you need to strike the balance, and I think the Batman animated series is the only one that really did this in any real like way that made that worked. And that's you know he has just sort of a deeper voice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? it's just, it's, it's, it's you just either deeper. do a deeper voice or you do a whisper. It's like right, you shouldn't go bigger. You go, it's like I'm Batman. It's like a whisper. Yeah, like when like in the first movie when they like, the guy's like where what are you and he goes here. You know, yeah. like that's that's what you want. It's that I think they just made the choice to go like this 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 voice that's hard. It's fine when he's saying I'm Batman or swear to me, right. which is great. Yeah. But when he's trying to have conversations with people, it just feels it just feels a little silly. It's very silly. And then you know, Zack Snyder tried to go around it by having a voice you know voice enhancer, which just doesn't work either. <laughs> It's it, they do an okay job with it with Michael Keaton and Val Kilmer. I think they both had okay Batman voices. Uh, Br- yeah. George Clooney was didn't even bother. He was just, right. "I freeze, I'm Batman." <laughs> uh, honestly, the thing is, I don't think a lot of the more recent ones have cracked Bruce Wayne. I think yeah. they all get how to do Batman, but it's like he's he, they haven't gotten mu- you haven't gotten much of billionaire philanthropist Bruce Wayne. He's always a little bit of a sad sack. Yeah, I mean, and I. You know, what you the glimpses you get in Batman v Superman of Bruce Wayne sort of like running around being sort of a James Bond type, I liked, but you didn't get enough of it to really like have fun. <laughs> oh yeah, Bruce Wayne in that also he's been Batman a long time, so he's right. a little burnt out. In the new one, I feel like it's gonna be kind of like if I'm making a prediction about the Batman, I think a bit of it is gonna be like it's Bruce Wayne's origin. It's one of the things that like when Christian Bale was like, especially in the first one, they did a really good job of Christian Bale as Bruce Wayne, putting on the character yeah. that was Bruce Wayne. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I like this hotel. I'm going to buy it. Like that. Yeah. Just, like just, great. he's a douche, but he's also like very charitable. Yeah, yeah. You're right. The animated series did a great job with that. Cause he, you see him as Bruce Wayne a lot. 
Yeah. But it is. I think that's an important part of Batman is him having to strike the balance between Bruce Wayne and Batman the same way Superman's got to put on the Clark Kent look. He's, Christopher yeah. Reeve has to hunch his shoulders and put on the glasses. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think that's a... You know, that's a really important part of the mythos. Not every movie can service every part of the Batman mythos, no yeah. more so than Superman or Spider-Man can. But I think that's one that, you know, I, I want to see more. I, it's, it's, I know Batman's got some real wild villains. I know that you want to spend time with Bane and the Joker and the Riddler and all of those, all of those cats. But, uh, you know, I, I... <laughs> Batman's also cool. He's a very yeah. cool superhero and an interesting one. And he's not just sort of stoic and rigid and doesn't give you anything to work with as a character. If you've yeah. read The Dark Knight Returns or Nightfall or No Man's Land or The Long Halloween or any of those, you will see that. You know, yeah. he's a very... You know, I, I don't understand why that is so hard. And I think it might just be that filmmakers want to play with as many of the toys in the sandbox as possible. And it's very easy when you're dealing with IP to get distracted from, like, the main core thing, uh, the, from The Dark Knight Rising, or right. reading the book of Boba Fett, if you will. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, and, uh, you know, I think, you know, I think the problem... Well, there, there are two problems when you when people have been doing Batman movies. It's one, either they, they ignore Batman, which is sort of the, the Schumacher, Burton movies kind of do that, where he's not really a character. He's sort of... And I get what, what Burton's intent was in that first movie is to have sort of Batman be this mythic character coming down, whatever. But it doesn't entirely work, I don't think, as, bat, as a Batman movie. It might work as a movie, but... The thing is, is filmmakers are either so focused on telling the origin story of Batman, which is annoying, especially now, because we've seen it so many times, or they're, they, then they don't know what to do because a lot of filmmakers just shy away from doing Robin or doing the Bat family or doing, you know, any of that conflict. So you're stuck sort of with, you know, they're stuck. You can't on what to do, and it's and you're you're either telling a story about Gotham or you're telling sort of basically a James Bond story where James Bond is dressed up as a bat. That's my feeling on you know. Yeah. <laughs> should we stop doing the podcast? No, I don't think we should stop. There's too many. Fo- there's... I think we should give up. I'm done. No, no. I think we should stop for eight years. We should, oh, oh yeah, I think we should stop for eight years. We'll just come back and we'll do it for a month and then stop again and then do it for a week. Are we going to fake our deaths? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Will you come to Florence with me? I will come to Florence with you. I will have uh, coffee with you. you. Yeah. I, I, You can wear my mother's pearls. No way. <laughs> I wanted to start a Twitter account that was Martha Wayne's pearl necklace, and that was just uh, all the like animated gifts of Martha Wayne's pearl ne- necklace just breaking and falling over and, and falling on. Concrete hey, and yeah, stuff. it it always breaks and falls. <laughs> did he did he did did Bruce like rethread it and just uh, put it in the safe? Because that's kind of grim. Or maybe he uh, got maybe not all of it broke in that time. Maybe that, I mean that, she might have had a second. They were rich, yeah, you know. Yeah. Her and her and the cult leader from uh, Mandy. From were, Mandy, you know, they were, yeah, Linus Roach. 
I can't. I he showed you see one shot of him in Dark Knight Rises, and I take. I used to be. Oh, that's Thomas Wayne. Now I'm like, no, no, no. That's uh-huh. that guy that that has like really shitty uh, folk rock and has a cult. Yeah, the, the the leader of the Children of the New Dawn. From yes. Mandy. Yeah. yeah. Who? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, oh Mandy's so good. That movie's nuts. That is such a good movie. Oh my god, yeah. I, I love that movie so much. Has a couple Batman Begins alums in it because it's got Richard Brake in it as well. It's got Joe oh, Chill. Yeah. That's yeah. right. You know why hasn't Nicolas Cage ever been in a Batman movie? He should be in a Batman movie. I guess he technically is in the Teen Titans movie. <laughs> I mean, he was almost Superman. That's right. That's right. He, but he, he probably was like, I think, you know, he he was nearly Superman and maybe that just soured him on the whole whole thing. Yeah. He was uh, he's also been a Spider-Man. That's true. He's been a Spider-Man. Yeah. He did voice Superman a, in Teen Titans. But yeah, yeah he's know. got other things to do. You know, he's know. He's, he's 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 doing like uh, he's he, it seems like maybe he's handed off the really terrible action movie mantle to Bruce Willis. And now yeah. he gets to do stuff like Pig and Mandy and Color Out of Space, you know, yeah. That's true. That's true. That's, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want what happened to Ben Affleck to happen to Nicolas Cage, where Ben Affleck seemed like he was on a real good path doing like, he was an Oscar winner. He was making his own movies. And then he took Batman and his life just, he just suddenly he had that back tattoo and he yeah. seemed really unhappy. He said in interviews, like that was, uh, Batman was a just, that, the Justice League was a terrible experience for him. I mean, it sounds like, I mean, at least the reshoots of Justice League was a terrible experience for all involved, but that's another story for another time. Oh, it's, uh, Batman, I guess, you know, uh, we've never done it ourselves, but I guess it's tough. It's a tough thing to do. It takes it out of you. I guess so. I mean, uh, you know, I just want, and hopefully the Batman sort of follows this track. It just, the animated series is so good and so great at sort of, delineating the like hyper stylized Burton version of Batman and even though this didn't exist yet but the the realistic gritty uh, version of Batman like in the Dark Knight uh, it melds those two tones so well I mean and some yeah. of those episodes are very silly and stupid I mean it, it was written for children but like a lot of those like the mask of the phantasm just yeah. make that as a movie like as a live action movie yeah like I, I this is like the hipster thing to say but the best batman feature film in my opinion is batman mask of the phantasm if you haven't seen it it came out i want to say 1993 94 like yeah, between Batman like Returns that. and Batman Forever, yeah. and it wasn't a huge success in the theater, but it's 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 based on the Batman animated series that was happening at the same time, and it's just beautifully animated. It's this really like cool mystery, like a murder mystery. This new villain has showed up and is killing off mobsters, and it it also is a Batman tells Batman's origin. It has a lot of things in it similar to Batman begins and it's got the Joker as one of the main villains. And so you get like Mark Hamill as the Joker and Kevin Conroy as Batman. It's really good. It's if you haven't seen it, I'm sure it's streaming. It's like 80 minutes long and it's just so wonderful. It's such a good animated movie. Right. And it, it, but it does this thing that a lot of these movies just don't do. I mean, like the, the closest, I guess, is Batman v Superman, but is they don't, it's just a Batman adventure. It's not like they don't try. And the Dark Knight is pretty close to this too, but it's not trying to be Batman's origin story. It's not trying to do franchise management. It's just like, this is a fun Batman story. <laughs> like, 
you know. And I guess you could make the argument that, like, Batman Returns and Batman Forever do that, too. But those movies are just, like, there's been so many different versions of Batman now. And I think The Dark Knight kind of just made it, like, okay... You've proven you can do this in a way that takes the material seriously and respectfully, that it kind of rendered everything before it a little bit obsolete. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, and it just the, the Burton Schumacher movies, they just feel like Bond movies to me, like just sort of in a, in a you know, a garish coat of paint. I think I think there's a lot of similarities to like the types of Bond movies and the types of Batman movies. Certainly, like, you could... Oh, yeah. Look, oh, yeah. I, I don't know if you've seen No Time to Die yet, but... I haven't seen it yet, but... But uh, uh, there's a lot of Dark Knight Rises in No Time to Die. The uh, the Im- recent iteration of Bond clearly took its its cues from, from Christopher Nolan's Batman. Like, you know, Casino Royale yeah. is very much James Bond Begins, and Skyfall took a lot of its its DNA from The Dark Knight. So many Bond movies. But coming up next, uh, we're going to get out of superheroes, sort of, uh, and I believe it's my pick. It is. I'm going to take a safe choice, I hope. <laughs> I, think it, I think it's time. I think it's time we, uh, we do a little treasure hunting. We're going to watch Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. All right. That's exciting. That's such a fun movie. I, I love that movie. Yeah. It's, like, I think we, we need another palate cleanser after this yeah. one. And it's like, yeah. you know... It's, it's, well, we can get into the uh, infamous Temple of Doom versus Last Crusade debate and, right. uh, yes. you know, talk about that. And it, it, it's, we're going to have a good time. So that's what we got lo- to look forward to. And uh, I wish I was, I wish I wasn't uh, feeling so bummed out about this movie. I shouldn't feel so bummed out about The Dark Knight Rises. It's not that important to me. No, I know. It, it, but it's, it's one of those things when you, when, as we've been revisiting movies for this podcast, I'm always like, I don't know. Have I misremembered it? Is it is it really secretly cool? Like, is it really secretly fun? You know, is it is it something that I that I misremembered? Like, I don't know. It's very different when you watch a movie with like an analytical eye, too. Right. That's true. Like, I I have plenty of schlocky, crappy movies that I love. But if I sat down to do an episode of this podcast about the ghost <laughs> and the darkness, I'm guessing it would not hold up to scrutiny. <laughs> Well, but even so, I mean, I, you know, you could point to that and, and some of that and be like, well, it's fun and, and some of it doesn't work. But like this, just like so much of it is fundamentally broken that it just doesn't like. And know. we were holding it at the time. We were holding it to a high standard and the of current events when it came out and, you know, sort of current events that it was drawing parallels to, or at least people thought it was drawing parallels to. I don't know. It just put like kind of a damper on the whole thing. Whereas the dark Knight was such a surprise, even though it had tragedy tied to it when it came out with Heath Ledger's death, the movie was such a surprise and so, you know, exciting to watch and really gripping. And then this one just, I, it, it felt like, you know, it just stumbles right out of the gate. It, like, yeah. like we've talked about the central conceit of like of the opening that he had he gave up on being Batman for eight years, so you have absolutely nothing to draw on after the Dark Knight. Kind of, I don't know. It just kind of un- it undercuts the whole movie, and they never really recover from it. No, I mean, and that, yeah, I mean that's I think it's just it starts from a flawed premise. The the it, and you just can't mash up 
the Dark Knight Returns with Nightfall. They just don't work together. Nightfall only works if Batman has been Batman for a long time, and yeah. the Dark Knight Returns only works if Batman hasn't been Batman for a long time, but was Batman for a long time. <laughs> and and No Man's Land only works if you have a strong uh, array of supporting characters from which to choose. No right. Man's Land kind of needs Batman to have a big-ass rogues gallery. You know, it's it's... Harley yeah. Quinn, the animated series, did a better job with No Man's Land than this. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, next week, Last Crusade. We're gonna go. Uh, we're gonna go fight some Nazis, and we're gonna uh, have a tank fight. I think that's that's gonna be fun. Yep. Going after the Holy Grail. It's just Sean Connery, Harrison Ford bantering. I, I can't see how this would go wrong. I don't know, man. <laughs> optimistic but cautious as we go into the indiana jones trilogy uh next week as always you can find us on twitter at podcast part three that's the number three thanks for uh muddling through two very very different equally messy batman movies with us always a pleasure thanks for listening thanks for subscribing thanks for uh following us and we will see you next week and always remember, the fire rises! The fire rises! You think this gives you control over me? <laughs> I like the moment where where he says thank you at one point. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I, he has one quippy line that I think I never picked up until I watched it with subtitles is when he kills the special forces guy. The guy's like, I'll die before I talk. I'm on your schedule. That's <laughs> what he says. Uh, we saved all our Bane impressions to the very end. Can't, don't you admire our restraint? <laughs> I do. Good night, everyone. Good night.